Welcome everybody to The Pulse, where you have your WSIN Sports Talk Radio. Ryan Kohlhofer alongside Joey Bonsanti, MLB, NBA, NFL, a little bit of college sports. We got you covered to go in depth. Joe, give us the rundown. We're here today, end of the MLB season and the start of the playoffs is today, a very exciting day, and that's how we're going to start it off on this show and then move into some NFL news headlines and the week four recap and then obviously some fantasy studs duds and waiver pickups like usual it's the same drill every week for now and uh but before we get into it we're going to um send you some music and uh you're listening to the pulse on WSIN 1590 AM radio you can listen to us on the TuneIn app or wsinradio.org we will be right back with you AM 1590 AM Radio. Welcome back into the Pulse, everyone. Joey Bonsanti alongside Ryan Kohlhofer on WSIN 1590 AM Radio. Again, listen to us on the TuneIn app or WSINradio.org. Either way, that works, and we're getting you your sports news every Tuesday from 5 to 6. Let's start it off. Ryan, this is the most exciting time of the year for baseball. We got the MLB playoffs starting today, but uh, I guess we should recap at the end of the season if you want to Yankees Red Sox series if just to send it off Did um yeah and we're done and that's the end of the MLB <laughs> season and we're now on to the playoffs no energy no energy terrible series it was pretty much the AAA teams playing each other and I don't know nothing really to it both teams clinched their respected spots already in the postseason but now look where we are it is the first day of the MLB postseason we had a couple of tiebreaker games yesterday, and tonight we have the Chicago Cubs and the Colorado Rockies playing for a spot in the NLDS. We have Kyle Freeland versus John Lester. Give me the Cubbies. I'm taking Lester. I'm also taking the Cubs and Lester here. I, I just see them as a team that could do more damage going down the line. I think the Rockies are a good team, but again, I, I don't feel that magic with them. Not like the not like the uh, Brewers or uh, or the Cubs. I think that those are two front runners in this playoffs on the NL side. Yeah, just, I'm just going based on the pitching matchup here. I've known John Lester since he broke in in 2006, 2007, and he's been a big game playoff pitcher in his whole career, and I think it'll continue tonight. But tomorrow night might be the bigger story for New Englanders or any of you listening. We have the local team. Your New York Yankees and the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, so last week we didn't know if the New York Yankees were going to have home field advantage for this, but with some wins and you know against the against the Boston Red Sox in that last series that got them the uh, extra push, and the New York Yankees will be playing in the Bronx at home versus the Oakland Athletics. I was actually trying to get tickets to this game, didn't work out. I'll be watching it from the comfort of my own home with Ryan sitting next to me. You know, just Boston New York fans in the same room. Not yeah. competing yet. Yeah. Great mix. But um, a lot of question was, who will start this wild card game for the New York Yankees? I heard a bunch of different names, and it kind of got down to Hap or Severino. And the New York Yankees chose Luis Severino, just, uh, just like I had predicted. I thought that's what the organization was going to go with. And I've warmed up to this. I think that is the smart decision here. Again, wh- what did you say to me the other day? You can't leave the Ferrari in the garage or something? Cannot leave the Ferrari in the garage. I like that a lot because, I mean, he is the Yankees' best pitcher when it all comes down to it. He has better home record than he does on the road. And I think that you're more likely to get a dominant start out of Severino if you're if you're going to go with him over Hap. I mean, Hap is, again, more of a ground ball pitcher. He throws a little bit more junk. And uh, with the short porch at Yankee Stadium and, you know, New York being more of a home run ballpark – I like Severino against a righty-heavy um, Oakland A's lineup. So I think they did make the right decision. Again, I, I think the chances of him having a performance like last year against the Twins is very low. So throw him out there. And I think that he can give you four or five because you have the bullpen. That's all you really need is just four or five strong. Maybe he even goes more. So I will take my New York Yankees on this. I'm feeling pretty confident just because of the pitching matchup. I think the uh, A's are just going with relievers the whole game. So Yeah, interesting development for Oakland. They're going to go with Liam Hendricks, typically a bullpen arm. His ERA sits around 412, I believe. And if Sean Manaya were healthy, he had so- shoulder surgery, 
a few weeks ago, and he's out for probably all of next year as well. He was their number one pitcher. He threw the no-hitter earlier this year against the Red Sox, and since he's unable to go, obviously, for this series, they're going to go bullpen heavy and utilize all those arms that they got at the deadline. So maybe advantage Yankees there. If they can get to Hendricks quickly, then they won't have to face Familia and Trinan at the end of that bullpen. And having home field advantage definitely helps as well for New York. Who do you have? I'm taking the Yankees. All right, well, that would set up um, a ALCS with the Yankees and Red Sox, which would be very exciting. And then obviously on the flip side of that, you have Houston and Cleveland uh, looking down the road. Say it, who would you have coming out of that Houston-Cleveland series? That's really tough. I think it goes the distance, but I'm going to go Houston. I'd have to go Houston, too. I think Cleveland gives them a fight for their life, though. I mean, that's a really good team. I think that series would be really interesting. I really have no idea what would happen in Yankees-Red Sox. Um, I, Truthfully, unbiasedly, I think it would go either way. Yeah, it could. Both series could. This is going to be a very exciting postseason run for both teams involved, and also on the NL side, too, which we'll get into a little bit later. But if it's a Red Sox-Yankees series, it's, it'll be the first we've seen since 2004, where we all know the Red Sox came back from a 3-0 deficit and went on to win their first World Series in, I believe, it was 86 years, broke the curse of the Bambino. But this is the 2018 season. That's all in the past. This could be the series that officially re-sparks the rivalry. We'll see how teams attack each other, if there's blood brewing, and it's going to be really exciting to watch if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope that will be the case. I think some of the keys, rewinding back to the A series, the Yankees definitely need to get out to a very fast start. And Luis Severino can't put this team in a hole. I know last year he got them down 3 nothing, and then the Yankees had that magical inning where Didi Gregorius hit the home run. I don't think that you can allow yourself to do that against this Oakland A's team. Completely different than the 2017 Minnesota Twins. So get off to a fast start, solid pitching, get your bullpen involved um, mid-game, and I think the Yankees should be okay in New York. Like I said to Ryan before, I think that if they were in Oakland, this would be a completely different story. I would be feeling a lot less confident, but my confidence has risen due to the fact that they're playing in the Bronx. So um, I do believe it will be Yankees, Red Sox, and the ALDS. And then for pitching matchups there, I think Hap would probably start it off against Sale. Yep. And then uh, from there on out, I think it's Tanaka and then CeCe and then Severino. So I I don't – again, I don't like to look that far ahead, but just saying if that were to happen, and that would be the next step. So the rumor has it – I'm not sure if this is official yet, but I think Gary Sanchez will be behind the plate in this game so what do you think about that yeah so obviously you know my hatred towards gary sanchez my frustrations with him i honestly think this is the right decision um there's going to be a lot of frustrating uh catchers plays behind the play i mean we know that with gary sanchez but in this game i think we need as much potential firepower as we can get having gary sanchez hitting eighth in that lineup is a huge upside potentially what could be having that guy hitting eighth and then glaber hitting ninth is like a one-two punch possibly so again Gary's been really cold this whole year but I think that he knows how to catch Severino pretty well I think it's the right decision you can't take Gary's bat out of this lineup in Yankee Stadium I think that's the right choice yeah and it's looking like McCutcheon is going to be playing left field and Gardner will be off the bench which is a good weapon to have in the postseason a guy that can come in and maybe play right field in a pinch fielding situation or a pinch running situation as well for maybe a Gary Sanchez if you were to get on late in a close game. Yeah, McCutcheon in the left is definitely the right move. I mean, Gardner's been playing very inconsistently this season. I think this is starting to be the true downfall of him. And, uh, you know, I know he brings the veteran veteran presence to the team and has those long at-bats, but McCutcheon right now has been playing very well for the Yankees after we got him from the Pirate or the um, Giants, excuse me. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, it's definitely the, the right decision. I like him leading off in that lineup. So this these AL playoffs will be intense. So if you want to switch it over to the NL side, and Joe, why don't you give us those matchups? Yeah, so it's going to be Braves, Los Angeles, Dodgers, and then potentially Brewers versus Cubs or Colorado Rockies. Um, you know, Let's just say the Cubs move on, and we'll start off with that. So potentially. if the Cubs... So it would be Cubs and Brewers. Cubs Brewers, which would be a rematch of that uh, divisional tiebreaker game, and that will be a very interesting series for the Red Hot Brewers, led by the 
red, really, really red hot Christian Yelich, who will MVP. look to be the NL MVP. If he's not the MVP of the NL, that's a big problem because he's had a dominating second half, and he looks like he's running away with it. Just missed the triple crown. I, I want to say that I think the Brewers will take take this series and shock the Chicago Cubs here, and we'll move on to the NLCS. I agree. I think the Brewers are so hot right now. I don't think there's any stopping them. There's just that magic, kind of like you feel with the Oakland A's at sometimes, but this team's a lot stronger to me. So I think they would make that run into the championship series. And then flipping it to L.A., Atlanta, it's this one's tough. You know, you, you had Atlanta clinch that first spot. I would have to go with the Dodgers here. I really think they're going to turn it up once the, uh, once they start playing in the playoffs. Yeah, the, it's tough for the Braves. They're a very young team who we don't really know how they'll respond to the bright lights in, in the postseason. So uh, the Dodgers have been there before. They're in the World Series last year, and they look like they're fired up. We saw Yasiel Puig yesterday vouch for the Dodgers to be in the World Series, and he wants to win it. That whole team is, has gathered around, rallied together, and I think there's too much veteran leadership in that clubhouse to lose to a young Braves team, so I'm going to the Dodgers. Yeah, and I mean, if the Braves lose, it's not like a disappointment in the season or anything. I, they have a lot in front of them, a very young team, and uh, a very promising future for them. Now, if the Red Sox, uh, I'm going to flip this question myself too, if the Red Sox lose, do you call this season a complete disappointment? Yeah, of course it is. When you have a team that's built to win now and you've unloaded the farm system throughout the last couple of years, this has been the core to make a deep postseason run. And this will be the third straight year where they lose in the first round of the playoffs. So it's definitely a disappointment, especially after winning 108 games. If you were to lose, would you rather just lose in the ALDS or the CS? CS. You always want to make it as far as you can. I'm not one of those that, oh, well, I'd rather lose in there than lose in the World Series. I want to make it as far as I can and be tested that way all right so your potential right now before the playoffs start world series pick go world series pick um i i probably would take the red Sox, but i'm not sure if chris sale is healthy enough to put the team on his back i'm gonna go with a i think it's gonna be houston and i don't know if it'll be houston in the dodgers again it might, be. it might be. I think I'll go with the rematch of the World Series last year, and I think the Dodgers take it this year. I'll go Houston, Milwaukee, Milwaukee in six. Interesting. I, I just have a really good feeling about this Milwaukee team. You know, there's, sometimes there's that magic. Yeah, I, I just don't trust the starting pitching enough, but... That's fair. I think the Dodgers, they, they haven't been that convincing, though. The whole NL side has been a little disappointing, so you'd probably expect the AL to win, but I think there's something... If there's a rematch again, I think the Dodgers will just come out firing on all cylinders and want that revenge against Houston. I mean, many people said in, towards the middle of the season that the AL team that makes it's guaranteed to win the World Series. I don't think that's necessarily true. Do I think that the AL side has the advantage in terms of... I mean, you look at the teams from top to bottom... Those are great teams, yeah. top to bottom compared to the NL. Not not taking away anything from the NL, but I mean, you look at the wild card game, and I don't know. I just I see better teams there in terms of when you compare it to the NL side. So I I don't know. I think the AL definitely has the better lineup of games and series. I think there's going to be more emotion involved, and I mean, there's always emotion in playoff games. That's kind of a stupid comment. Yeah, you have but, three 100 win teams on that AL side, so that's going to be some quality baseball. Houston, Boston, and New York all had over 100, yep. which is just, that's the first time that's ever happened. And Oakland has 97. <laughs> They're right second there. wild card spot. It's unbelievable. Yeah, there's so many, that that's just going to be a really good baseball. Each series is going to be so uh, hard fought. And yeah, I'm still I'm still pretty nervous for this wild card game. So don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm, I'm my confidence is flying through the roof, but I'm still very nervous. Yeah. And you need all that good juju up for for that playoff game coming up yeah, tomorrow night. I do. I need everything. Yeah, that's that's really the playoff uh, preview, I guess you could say. And then by next week, we'll know if we have a if we're in the midst of a Yankees Red Sox series or not. And if not, I'm gonna be very disappointed. I mean, that would be just a throwaway of a year. You know, go out get Giancarlo and add pieces, and you bring in uh, Neil Walker, and and everything just turned up, up upside down this season for the New York Yankees. I mean, you got Drury, and you thought he was going to be your starting uh, third or second baseman, and then Glaber and Andy are come in and just completely change the culture. 
So, uh, I mean, a bunch of things happened. They're young, but, I mean, if you lose in this wild card game, it's a complete disappointment to the uh, 2018 season. I think if you don't win the World Series, it's a pretty disappointing season. But for me, I don't expect this team to make it to the World Series unless they hit that hot streak. And uh, I believe they're riding a little bit of a hot streak right now, but we will see once they start to get into the uh, nitty-gritty. Anything else from you? No, it's enough for me for... That was a long talk of baseball. It was, and uh, it's what it's going to be like, I think, once the playoffs yeah. start. So. And let's move on to NFL news. Yes, week four. We have a Le'Veon update, I guess. So the the price on him is a second-rounder and a quote-unquote good player. <laughs> well, I mean, that I think that's just a bunch of uh, you-know-what. Yeah, um, we can't say that word on the air, even though we really want to, but a second rounder and a good player is a high price for a running back who doesn't seem committed to football right now and only has less than a year left till his contract expires. And I'm not really sure what they mean by good player. Do you mean that? That's that's, that's why it's such said. a wide range of talent that you could be asking for. So typically, I'm sure someone will throw in like a a, a third round pick, and that'll probably get it done. Uh, we always hear the reports of... I, see, I hear that good player report a lot. It never ends up being good player. It's always like a, a round after as the compensation going back in a trade. So so my prediction will probably be a third rounder for Le'Veon Bell if he does get moved. Again, I'm sick and tired of having this guy on the on the NFL news headlines and talking about him every week because he's just wasting our time. Uh, I'm sick and tired of talking about him. I wish he would just play football. And uh, yeah, the Steelers are hurting right now. I don't know if it's because he's gone, but... Or they're just a bad team, but they're, they're definitely hurting by not having them there. Yeah, James Conner is not the same. You may think that based on the, what the media tells you that James Conner has done enough and has been a supplemental piece to Le'Veon Bell, but as I look at the games, I don't see that same explosion from running the ball out of the backfield or catching it out of the backfield. He was their leading receiver, I believe, last year with 85 catches. So that's a lot of lost production, and they're really missing him right now, I think. And some people don't realize that Le'Veon added a whole new dimension to football, running the football. I mean, it's more that patient outlook on it, and a lot of guys are just get the ball and burst to the hole. This guy would wait and wait and wait, and he would find the hole. There's a lot of guys that try to do that but aren't as good as him, and he's a very unique player when it comes to that. So they're definitely missing that. Let's move on to some injuries. Earl Thomas, he had the broken leg, and then he gets carted off the field and flips off the Seahawks bench. So, I mean, that's a whole disaster there in Seattle. Yeah, um, when, we, when I saw that on TV, I kind of questioned who specifically it was toward. You have to assume it was the coaching staff because he's said that he wants to play for his teammates. So we, we mentioned last week how there's a lot of dysfunction with him. He wants to be paid top dollar, and all his Legion of Boom buddies are gone now. So he's the only one left. He gets hurt, and he's taking out his frustrations on them for playing him instead of trading him away. Yeah, I definitely want. And I heard that there was a deal being worked on in the process before he got injured, which I it's very believable because they were trying to move him. Yeah, Kansas City was close to acquiring him. I'm not really sure what the compensation would be for, but I think he was going to be on the move later this week. But again, the injury stopped that from happening. Yeah, that's and I, I'd be pretty upset if I was him too. But these guys are a bunch of crybabies. I, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about this. Get him out of there, let him play on a team, and then let's call it quits. Another injury, O.J. Howard sprained MCL. Put it on here just because another injury. I don't think it's going to affect them too much. They're they're on a, a downfall right now, the Tampa Bay Bucks. They're starting to get down to earth now, and their whole quarterback fiasco and everything is uh, – they're, they're now back to uh, back to earth Bucks. Yeah, they're there on the Jameis Winston Buccaneers. Fitzpatrick was benched at halftime, as we expected would happen at some point. But this is kind of like Fitzpatrick's cycle. He he plays well, he tails off, he plays well at the end, gets a contract extension, and it's a whole whole fiasco. Round and round we go. The merry-go-round of Fitzpatrick continues, so I'm sure he'll be back. This is not the last we've seen of him because he's going to come back next year and light it up again at some point. But for Jameis Winston, he came back in through, I believe, two interceptions and one touchdown, and he has a, a bye week coming up to get accustomed to his teammates again and get a rhythm going. And this Buccaneers team could still make some noise, I think. We'll have to see. Yeah. I mean, they. I think it could go either way, but it's all going to depend on Jameis and how he plays. 
Another injury, Fournette. Leonard Fournette, that is, re-injures his hamstring in the game against the Jets. This guy just can't stay healthy, something that was concerned when he came out of college. And now it's just really starting to show in the NFL. Is he's very inconsistent with injuries. So, Yeah, good player when he's on the field, but this nagging hamstring injury is said to be in um, over two weeks, I think the time frame is. So he's going to be out for an extended period of time. <clears throat> Doug Marone did not know exactly how long, but it's going to be a while. So they're going to lean on TJ Yeldon here in the meantime, who's been playing pretty good football. So he adds a different dimension, more of a pass-catching threat which honestly I think is more effective in today's NFL. And effective on that Jaguars team, as we've seen with stats and everything, showing that they win more without Leonard Fournette. Yeah. So, And then the next gruesome injury, the Tyler Eifert ankle. It's very unfortunate to see the guy gets injured every season. Great player. feel bad for the guy. I really do. I feel so bad. A guy that's a top four tight end when he's healthy was just starting to get going in a rhythm and this severe ankle injury was very gruesome seeing it on tv his ankle twisted one way and uh, just dislocated on the spot and he got carted off his season it'll be done and uh, his career is probably in jeopardy at this point he's had a ton of serious injuries and this one adds to the list and could ruin a potentially really productive career for tyler eifert yeah it's unfortunate to see you don't see many great tight ends in the league and you hope that they last a while and for a guy to just keep going down over and over and over again, it's it stinks, and you don't want anything bad to happen to a guy like this. And he was a, a very, he's a very likable guy and a very good player. So, and uh, your boy Edelman returns this week along with Mark Ingram. So, why don't you tell us about the impact that he's gonna serve for your New England Patriots? Oh, Edelman, the Edelman addition will be huge for this team. Brady needs his security blanket back, a guy that he can trust on an every down basis a guy that gets separation and man-to-man coverage, which has been lacking lately. Uh, Edelman will be a great addition to this team and will free up coverage for other guys as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Yep, you said it right there. I mean, this is going to help Josh Gordon downfield. He's going to help Edelman. Edelman's going to help Gronk. It all plays off each other, and that's how this offense is going to get rolling. Um, And then Ingram adds another head back in that backfield with Kamara, so it takes the load off of Ingram constantly doing the work. I think that's a nice uh, addition to their backfield. He adds the goal line threat, so fantasy owners would probably be a little bit upset about him returning, but I think it's nice for them to get him back. Yeah, even with Ingram in the lineup last year, Kamara was still very effective in terms of fantasy, so I don't think it'll hurt Kamara that much. Ingram is still a... I wouldn't start him this week. I would keep him on the bench to see how they have him. They might have him on a pitch count. We're not sure what shape he's in, but right now I think going forward, these two running backs are a great tandem together. Yeah, but he, he's also going to help Kamara down the road because yeah. you know it's it's so much nicer to have two guys so he's not Kamara's not constantly taking the load you know 100 whatever yards he had in three touchdowns a guy doing that for 16 games straight is very tough on the leg so and the body so it's good to have Ingram back there a big body guy and uh, they'll, they'll split up the carries nicely Kamara will still get a lot of the work though and then one last uh, point I had on here was the controversial coaching call in Indianapolis I thought it was a good thing to talk about it was a fourth and one on their own, 45 or something, and they were tied in overtime, and it was kind of getting to that point where it was like two minutes left. And they decided to go for it on fourth and one on their own, 45, and they didn't get it. But you look at it, Andrew Luck was throwing out of his mind that game. I think it was absolutely the right call. You don't want to tie, which they eventually ended up doing. I think we both have the same opinion about this. Yeah, this call took a lot of negative media impact going against Frank Wright's call to go for it on fourth down, as you said, at the 45-yard line. A lot of people said that they should punt the ball away and settle for a tie. But <coughs> but what message does that send to your team? You want to you're, you're a new head coach. You want to show that your team that you you want to win games and be competitive, and you want to show trust in your offense that they can get it done. You have Andrew Luck at quarterback. He was 40 for 60 at that time. And I think this one's on Luck. He made a poor throw to a receiver that could have made a play on the ball. If Luck makes a good throw, they might have a first down. They might continue to march down the field, win the game. And you're not talking about it in a negative impact. So this was a great call, I think, in Frank Wright, in Frank Wright's decision-making. And I have no doubts. And if I were coaching that team, I would say we're doing that again and again and again. We're not playing for ties. We're playing to win NFL games. Especially in the division where you have the Jaguars. Like yeah, if, you need- if you're legitimately trying to win the division, which I don't think they have a shot at, but 
what you're trying to do as a team and an organization, that's the right call. Or as a wild card spot, you need wins. Ties aren't going to cut it. Yeah, half game. What did you say? Losses count as yes. double and ties count as one loss. Yeah, I said d- losses are. it's a loss-loss if you lose a game. It's a loss if you tie. So I don't want a, any losses on my resume. I want wins. Absolutely. So, I mean, that just shows your gut. The Patriots do that all the time, and look where they are. Five Super Bowl rings. I mean, the aggressive teams that want it, go for it. The Chiefs last night, they go for it on fourth and one on their own 35. They don't care. They just want to get the first down in, in close situations. They have the right game plan. And they, they go out and get wins. That's how it works. Yep. <laughs> so let's move on to the week four NFL recap. I'm excited for this one. As always, here's the music. And let's start it off with the Thursday night game. Vikings-Rams, which is supposed to be a very good one. Rams took it 38-31 in what, was a, what ended up being a shootout quarterback. Just crazy numbers from both guys. Goff and Kirk Cousins. Goff had 465 yards and five touchdowns, and which was a very good game in the first half. I thought it went really downhill in the second half. It was more of a shootout. Yeah, but it was one of those good shootouts. It was pretty decent coverage down the field from both teams. It was these dots from the quarterbacks fitting the balls into small windows. We saw Brandon Cooks catch one. <coughs> Cooper Cup had a couple for the Rams. And for, for the Vikings, Thielen had one, and... Aldrick Robinson had two touchdowns in this game. Very explosive offenses. And these these defenses are, on paper, pretty good, pretty sound, fundamentally. And they got pretty much destroyed, but you can't really blame too much. I think these defenses will be good in the long run. Yeah, I mean, like you said before, complete and utter just perfect balls from the quarterbacks. And I think Goff is really starting to turn into his own kind of persona here and his own quarterback. He's a really good quarterback, and what is this, year three for him? Uh, yes, year so, three. So he's really starting to develop into possibly what could be a star quarterback. Maybe that was his uh, breakout game, but we'll have to see. Kirk looked good too, but now the Vikings sit at 1-2-1, one, and one, while the Rams look to be the real deal. How about Johnny Hecker, the punter, th- casually flicking a 50-yard ball on that pass That play. was an unbelievable fake play. That was an unbelievable ball. That should have been caught for a touchdown. Yeah. But the receiver wasn't looking really, and... Man, that, that guy threw a bomb. I mean, that's a great backup for Jared Goff right there. So uh, the Rams are covered with backup quarterback. So let's move on to my team. The New York Jets dropped a pathetic game to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Score of 31-12. to Bortles had two touchdowns. Jaguars went for, it, or went for two late in the game to just kind of rub it in the Jets' face. I mean, this game all around was terrible. They tore up the Jets' defense. I mean, I think Blake Bortles had 500 yards. It was absolutely pathetic showing. A lot of people on Twitter are trying to say that it was a lack of execution. I want to say i got to blame this game on Todd Bowles. Um, I'll get to Sam Darnold a little bit, but I have a list of what he did this game. I mean, Todd Bowles went for it before the half on their own side of the field and then kicked a field goal down 25-3. to And then later on in the game, there was, I think we were down two scores with five minutes left, and he punted. Like, th- this guy was making questionable calls all day. The play calling stayed pretty terrible. Sam Darnold missed a couple throws, but I-, I like what I saw out of Sam this game. I mean, he put up pretty good numbers against a really good Jacksonville defense. But it was just one of those games where the Jets were not going to win it from the start. I could tell they came out flat. And I thought they were going to give a little bit more. But, I mean, the-, the Jaguars' defense is really good. Yeah, and for for Sam Darnold... Last year, coming out of college, I had him as the number three quarterback. I had Rosen, Mayfield, Darnold, and they're all good quarterbacks, I think. But the thing is with Darnold was his, I think he had some delivery issues and some turnover problems in college. And I think he has the upside to be really good. But the thing that concerns me a lot is what coaching staff he has now. Because these are the guys that he's going to learn from. He's learning in the NFL now. And Having Jeremy Bates and Todd Bowles as those guys that are teaching you the ways of the NFL, I don't think that's going to be good for his growth, and that could really, really hurt a promising quarterback. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, right now Todd Bowles is doing everything wrong. I got to you got to blame some of the um, blame on uh, on the GM Mike McCagnan. He's been doing a terrible job in the drafts. I mean, you even look at the mid rounders. You look at the Chad Hansons. You look at the Ardarius Stewart's. They're nowhere now, and. Very bad drafts, which lead to very bad teams. And, yes, he did get Sam Darnold, and I've seen flashes. It's early. So I'm still kind of on that train that I was preseason that he shouldn't be starting. I see the flip side of how he should be getting the experience. 
I don't know, man. I still think that it would have been smart to sit him and then put him in midseason, but that's just my opinion. I mean, what would you have... Did you think starting him was the right decision? Um, I don't think it hurts either way because if if a guy's going to play, he's going to get the reps. But again, with this coaching staff, this could be bad for his development. So it's something to monitor over the next couple of weeks. I don't think Jeremy Bates will be back next season if this continues. But <laughs> I hope he's gone this season. Yeah, <laughs> this he might be terrible. gone midseason. So bad. They need to get a an offensive guru in there to play, like a Jim Bob Cooter to be offensive coordinator or something. I just don't think Bates fits Sam Darnold's play style at all, or the, the whole offense in general. I don't know what his play calling is, but apparently it works well with Kirk Cousins. That's why they brought him in, and we didn't get Kirk, so send him off to Minnesota. All right, let's move on. Bengals-Falcons. This was a another high-scoring game. 37-36, the Bengals take it. They're now 3-1. and one. Yeah, they're a surprising team this season, but again, they're always a team <laughs> that has some decent talent on both sides of the football and they got a Falcons team that looks terrible defensively they go to one and three on the season Julio Jones again no touchdowns but he had nine catches for 173 yards he's the yards monster but you cannot get in the end zone how do you not get him in the end zone because there's a new guy Mr. Ridley who is taking over that touchdown red zone target against Julio right now. And yeah, he is. I mean, Julio never had it, but... Yeah, I mean, really just taking it. He's right taking... He he's like a better Muhammad Sanu, I guess, in the red zone. Yeah, I think he has five touchdowns this season already, so that, that's great for them, but the Falcons, with the defensive injuries, it's really shown. They're sitting at one and three now. Their defense is getting torn apart. I'd be really concerned if I'm a Falcons fan at this point, so... Yeah, I think Deion Jones is still hurt, too. It's a big loss for that linebacking core. Yeah, and then Neil went down, so, I mean, they have a and I think there's another dude, too, that, that's hurt there, but not good for them. Moving on, the Bears are 3-1, 48-10 victory over the Buccaneers, who are now 2-2. Two and two. Mitch Trubitsky threw for six touchdowns. I love the Bears, dude. I, I love the Bears. It's my second favorite team right now. Yeah. I love them so much. I know you love them. That defense is great. I, I, I want to see Mitch Trubitsky succeed, and he did. He threw six touchdowns, and everything was clicking for them. Yeah, Mitchell Trubisky also getting it done the ground. Three carries for 53 yards. Yeah, that's good production right there. <laughs> Moving on, Cowboys-Lions. The Cowboys take this one 26-24. Cowboys sit at 2-2. Two and two. Pretty bad game. Yeah, it's... I think the Lions thought they can come out after beating New England on Sunday night, come out and make a statement against the Cowboys in Dallas. They couldn't get it done, and we saw a Brett Mayer game-winning field goal to send the Cowboys on top of this one. Dak Prescott threw a dime late in the game to Ezekiel Elliott down the field. I think it was about 45 <laughs> yards, setting that drive up. And Dak is responding to the haters right now. A lot of people called him the, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, but he's responded and played well as of late. And Golden Tate with the taunting the whole game, that's what you get, buddy. A big, fat L on your forehead. Moving on, Packers, Bills. Packers take it. The shutout, 22-0, and uh, that, that'll put the Bills right back to earth. Packers sit at 2-1-1. But they didn't really seem that explosive over uh, one of the worst teams in the league. No, Aaron Rodgers looks a little gimpy. 22 for 40. Back-to-back -back weeks with a passer rating of about 55. So we're not really seeing the vintage Aaron Rodgers. Remember, he's 34 years old now, injured every season. <clears throat> and people are starting to question his toughness and if he can put his ego aside for the team. A lot of questions in Green Bay. Absolutely. Let's move on to defending Super Bowl champions. They, they take the L against the Titans, 26-23. Titans pulled out. They're now 3-1 after beating the Jags and the Eagles back-to-back -back weeks. Is this, a, is this team for real? Uh, I don't think they're for real. I think the Eagles are coming down to earth. I think they were overrated a little bit last year. They are riding a hot streak. The Titans, they're 3-1. They're gonna, they seem to do this every year. They kind of start off in a little a convincing way. Are they good? Are they bad? But I think that they're still a work in progress. I need to see more to Marcus Mariota before I can really put this team over the top. Corey Davis, though, is emerging as a legit number one receiver for this Titans team. Yeah, I think the Eagles are on a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover right now. I think Wentz needs to find his groove, but I think they'll be just fine when it comes playoff time. I still have them winning that division. So we move on. Texans-Colts, this was a pretty good game. Texans take it 37-34, both 1-3 in the division. Pretty irrelevant. Luck had a, quite the game, 464 yards and three Four, four, touchdowns. four touchdowns, I believe. And, uh, yeah, just it just wasn't enough in the end when they, like we said, they went for it on fourth and one on their own 45 and turned out to give the Texans the game-winning field goal. 
Yeah, and this is the Texans' first win of the season, surprisingly. It's, again, like we say every week, a team that had a lot of expectations going into the season. But Deshaun Watson seems to be figuring it out. Remember, he just came off the torn ACL. Give him some time to knock the rust off. He looks a lot better. DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller are great targets for him. And for the Colts, they might have found a little running back here. Naeem Hines, rookie out of NC State, seems to be a serviceable pass-catching back for Andrew Luck. He's utilizing him a lot. Eric Ebron's also having a pretty good season as well for the Colts. And let's move on. I mean, who called this? I think I did. I think you did. And not a lot of people did, but we did on the radio last week. Patriots take it 38-7 to over the Dolphins. Absolutely destroyed the mighty 3-0 Dolphins. How about those Dolphins? 3-1 and now. And the Patriots go to 2-2. Two and two. This game was a very good statement for the defense. Trey Flowers and Patrick Chung are back in there. Jason McCourty is coming along very well, coming over from the Browns last season. He's fitting in extremely well, well for Eric Rowe, and he should be a starter going forward. I'm sick and tired of Eric Rowe. Hopefully he stays hurt for a while. The run defense was phenomenal. Dante Hightower back in the middle of the defense where he belongs, stuffing the run and getting everyone situated wearing the green dot. Offensively, this team had Josh Gordon for the first time, 15 snaps. He had two catches for 32 yards. And again, we saw Sony Michelle first game over 100 yards. They got the running game going. But there's still little things to be worked out. We'll see them at full strength this week when Julian Edelman comes back. And that will really open the field up. I think that's it's going to be uphill from the Patriots from this point, just like I had predicted. Browns, Raiders. Raiders take this one 45-42 over the Browns. Again, the Browns had opportunities to win. I feel like they have opportunities to win every game. And John Gruden's Raiders get their first one of the season. Yeah, the Raiders aren't a bad team. They have a very explosive offense. I think Gruden's done a pretty good job with Derek Carr and the weapons around him. It's just their defense that doesn't have enough playmakers. Obviously, it was a huge piece of Khalil Mack, who's had a phenomenal season for the Bears. That loss is really hurting them because they really need a pass rusher. And ironically, he just traded the, one of the best ones in the league away. So John Gruden has his first win with the Raiders. As for the Browns, they they got torched. A defense that was considered to be above average gave up 45 points in this one. Moving on, Seahawks, Cardinals. Seahawks take it 20-17 over the struggling Cardinals at 0-4 now. Again, this isn't a very promising game from the Seattle Seahawks. Only taking this three-point Differential over a very eh, not scary Cardinals team. Yeah, and the big story this game was with Chris Carson out. Who's going to run the football for Seattle? It's former South Carolina Gamecock Mike Davis with 21 carries for 101 yards and two scores. We thought Rashad Penny would take the load. He only had nine carries in this one, so Mike Davis outsnaps him. They don't view Penny as the go-to back yet, even though he was their first rounder this year. As for the Cardinals... Josh Rosen did impress me. He made some really nice throws in this game. He looks like he's pretty composed and accurate with the football, and he's going to grow from here on out. He was my number one quarterback prospect coming out, and seeing him make these throws in the NFL puts a smile on my face. Moving on, the mighty football Giants went in against the Saints at home, and, well, they laid an egg. 33-18 loss. Love to see it. Kamara completely torched the defense, and, uh, yeah, the Giants are 1-3. and three. A lot of experts had the Giants as the upset pick this week. The Saints said, no way. We're going to MetLife. We're taking one from the Giants. We still have Drew Brees at quarterback. We have Alvin Kamara, the machine, at running back. An elite defense led by Marshawn Lattimore putting the chains on Odell Beckham. Saints win big. Yeah, Odell's been quiet, and he's getting unhappy. I think he's uh, starting to see a lot of the production go over Saquon Barkley. I don't, I don't think a star likes that, but he just signed that long-term deal, so he's going to have to. Yeah, it's no touchdowns yet for Beckham. Moving on, 49ers, Chargers. The Chargers squeak one out against the Niners, 29-27. And uh, they were led by C.J. Beathard. And the Chargers still were struggling against that 49ers team. Yeah, it was a little concerning for the Chargers defense. who really They really do miss Joey Bosa, who will be out till November. But, hey, they, they have good playmakers at the running back position. Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon keep the chains moving. You have a great possession receiver in Keenan Allen and an emerging threat in Mike Williams. So the offense looks to be coming together. Just sure up some things on the defensive side. They'll be fine. Ravens-Steelers on the Sunday night game. Ravens took it 26-14. Again, that kind of got away from the Steelers uh, after scoring no points in the second half. The Ravens shut them out 12-0 in the second half. 
And uh, there's definitely concern in Pittsburgh at this point as they're sitting at 1-2-1. One, and one. Yeah, very sloppy, boring Sunday night game. For the Ravens, Joe Flacco has his deep threat John Brown. The revitalized John Brown, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals. He's having a very good bounce-back season in his first year with Baltimore. Alex Collins has been solid on the ground. But for the Steelers, not seeing a lot on both sides of the ball. The offense looks a little sluggish. A lot of Juju Smith-Schuster. Not enough Antonio Brown. I need to see more Antonio Brown like they usually do. We need to see that big 200-yard gain from him. We haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, I think Big Ben's really struggling right now. I don't know if it's because he doesn't really have a solid running game or what the deal is, but like you said, he's not going to Brown. He's looking at Schuster all the time, which isn't a bad thing, but you have Antonio Brown. He's one of the best wide receivers in the league. Throw it to him. And let's move on to last night's game, Chiefs-Broncos, which is actually a very entertaining game, a divisional matchup in mile high. Chiefs took it 27-23, and Patrick Mahomes can throw with his left and right hand. Yeah, third down conversion there. Mahomes rolls out left, gets hit. Has only one hand to throw it with. It's not his right hand. It's his left hand. Gets it out. First down. Moves the change. Chiefs win this one 27-23. And these, the Chiefs-Broncos games are always fun to watch. They very good division rivals. And we see these games go back and forth. And this was another classic one last night. No, I think the Broncos are actually going to end up being a really good team this season. I like their defense. And I really like their offense. It's improved a lot since last season. And uh, look down the road for these two to be uh, head-to-head. Yeah, they're getting Royce Freeman going now, the rookie running back out of Oregon. He's starting to get a feel for the NFL game. We also have Philip Lindsay as a change of pace back as well. So as they get the ground game settled, they'll improve as well. And also this week, the Panthers and Redskins had buys. They'll be back in action in week five. Yeah, I mean, one, one more point about that Broncos uh, backfield. It's, it's very impressive. Lindsay's more of that explosive guy, and the Royce Freeman type back is more of the bumbling, stumbling kind of guy. Get off me. And uh, they have a really good backfield there. I like it. And they have Booker. So, three-headed monster. I like the Broncos a lot. And uh, we will go to a quick break before we get into fantasy football. And then for the last 10 minutes, we will go over stud duds and waiver wire pickups for you guys. You are listening to The Pulse on WSIN 1590 AM radio. We'll be right back with you. Yeah. Welcome back in to The Pulse, WSIN radio, 1590 AM Listen to us on the TuneIn app or WSINradio.org. My name is Joey Bonsanti, and sitting next to me is Ryan Kohlhofer. If you don't know us yet, get to know us. Hey, guys. <laughs> We're going to give you the last 10 minutes or so, 11 minutes of fantasy football talk. We do studs, duds, and waiver pickups. And let's see who made the list this week. Studs, we're going to start it off. Jared Goff had that big 465 and five touchdown game. And uh, right next to him, I didn't put him on the list, but almost did. Andrew Luck was right up there with him. Four touchdowns and 464 yards. But, I mean, golf right now, it could be a very good fantasy quarterback for this whole season. Yeah, in the McVay offense that he's in, he seems to have control of it in his second full season and is really finding receivers deep, fitting into small windows. And I really like what I see out of this whole offense. Um, Derek Goff is definitely a quarterback one going forward. I think his numbers rely a lot on one guy in that offense, and that's Todd Gurley. He takes a lot of the weight off of his shoulders and allows him to drop back, throw the ball, a lot of play action stuff. I mean, that offense is really scary, and anyone really on the offense is a, is a good fantasy piece. Moving on, Alvin Kamara. 134 yards and three touchdowns, and yeah, I had to face him this week. Not the best matchup for myself. It basically lost me the game. And uh, he's he's just an unbelievable fantasy player. And throwing 47 yards in the air as well for Kamara. And he, he and Gurley seem to be those two running backs that consistently put up at least 15 to 20 points a week, and they can really put the team on your back and carry you to a win if, you're, if you have Alvin Kamara, and a bag of chips, you still have a chance to win every week, as we know from one person that owns Alvin Kamara. Absolutely. I think another guy could be in that league is maybe Melvin Gordon now. Yeah, he's been very consistent as well. Uh, guys like LaShawn McCoy, Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell have been bust to this point. Obviously Le'Veon because, well, he hasn't seen the field yet. So, <laughs> Last stud I have on this list, Cooper Cup. Well, he was along with Jared Goff, and he had nine receptions, 162 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, what a nice wide receiver to have in your starting lineup. But a lot of people probably had him on their bench. So that stinks for you. He's an underrated player, and he's 
probably a wide receiver two flex option going forward. He's, his role is the same every week. He is the number two receiver in that offense. I guess Robert Woods is the number one. But them together are a, a great tandem. And with Todd Gurley, Goff, the, the weapons are endless for them. And Cooper Cup is the guy. He has, I think, at least 12 targets per week. He had nine catches, which shows the volume there. PPR or standard, Cooper Cup is a great option. Yeah, they don't really do it. They don't really run tight ends there, do they? Not too much. So, I mean, yeah, you're looking at wide receivers and then Todd Gurley. So, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are great options. And then, uh, obviously, if you have Todd Gurley like Ryan, well, you're in for good 20 every week. And then let's move to the duds list. I'm sorry, folks. I hate to disappoint. There's no Amari Cooper on this list. Coop! He had a actually pretty good way. I think it was 128 yards or something to touchdown. But that was just because they were playing the Browns and they were going back and forth. And he'll be back to his regular self next week, I believe. It depends what they're playing. Uh, but the first that I had on this list <laughs> is Jordan Howard, 25 yards. Basically up to this point, this guy has been a complete disappointment if you drafted him early on, which a lot of people probably did. Yeah, and we know from Matt Banks, our roommate, did draft Jordan Howard. He's been complaining nonstop about him. Haven't heard him shut his mouth for the last, what, five weeks, four weeks now. Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen were the two in the backfield for the Bears. And it's an, a situation that I thought in the beginning of the season to stay away from. I was never huge on Jordan Howard, though he put up pretty decent numbers his last two years. It was just a matter of time before he slowed down. And they're relying more on the speedy guys like Tariq Cohen, uh, Gabriel they have now. They like to go to Burton a lot. Robinson gets a lot of targets. So there's other guys in that offense now uh, like Burton and like Robinson who get more targets, and obviously that takes away from Jordan Howard. They like to use those speedy guys is, is what I've seen them doing in the past few weeks with their success. So, And then a guy that I had, Dalvin Cook. I started him. It was a game-time decision. Hey, he's active. I picked him in the second round, and uh, yeah, he gets me 20 yards, two points. Complete disappointment. I'm getting really sick and tired of this guy, and it's only four weeks of the season. So, I mean, I, I don't really know what else I have to do with this guy or who I should start or if I should keep starting him. I don't know what to do with him. Yeah, I mean, he's been a running back that was drafted within the first two rounds. It's still early. He came off the ACL injury. Give him some time. That team will get going to him. Again, you have Kirk Cousins also still getting a feel for the offense. So I think by midseason, he'll be fine, and that whole Vikings team will be fine. The problem is for me now, I have Carrion Johnson. Do I start him over, over Cook? Uh, yeah, I guess for the meantime. Yeah, and I guess he, it, it is a PPR league, so I mean. It's a good problem to have. It, it Very good problem to have. And then lastly, Demarius Thomas takes the last spot at four receptions, 24 yards. This is a guy that you had a lot of hope in coming into the season, thought he could turn it up with Case Keenum. But it's been more of Emmanuel Sanders who has been an absolute PPR monster for me. And, uh, yeah, Thomas has been a bit of a disappointment this season. Yeah, he just looks out of it. A couple drops just doesn't seem to have that urgency that Emmanuel Sanders shows week to week. And we see the urgency with Sanders. That equals to production. Demarius Thomas doesn't have it and doesn't have as much of production he's had in the past. Thomas is still a talented guy. He can still run pretty fast. I don't think he runs his same 4-3-4-4, but he's still a guy that can get separation. It's just a matter of can he hold on to the football and catch it on a consistent basis. How do you remember all these guys 40 times? I I don't know. It really just sits in the back of my head. It's crazy. For some like, weird reason. I just like every show. I feel like you're spitting out a different guys forty times. Yeah, it's weird. Like Josh Gordon. What is it? Four three eight. <laughs> it's so weird. Julio Jones four uh, four four two. Uh, I can keep going. I don't know. I can't think of any other guys. But imagine if school was just that. Yeah. I mean, you'd, if, you'd be. If that was math class, I'd I would not get a C in that. So. <laughs> All right, and then moving on to some smart waiver pickups. Maybe some guys that broke out last week, and then uh, a guy you mentioned before, Naeem Hines. Possibly the the head back there in Indianapolis now. Yeah, with Marlon Mack's injury concerns dragging out till week five, it looks like Naeem Hines has stepped in and taken that job from him. He's a guy that can run a little bit between the tackles, but is more of a guy out of the backfield as a pass catcher. So as Andrew Luck looks for security blankets and guys to dump off to, Naeem Hines is number one for that option. And then D.D. Westbrook, he went off against the Jets, had 130 (laughs) yards, and it was just a... A great coming out party for D.D. Westbrook. I think it's a guy that could be utilized more. Good PPR guy. I I don't know how keen I am on him, but 
I think if you're really struggling and need an extra guy maybe in the flex, I think he's a good option. Yeah, D.D. Westbrook's been a, a favorite of mine for a, a long time now, going back with him and Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. D.D. Westbrook was always in the Blindikoff Award consideration, and he was, in the, he was a Heisman finalist one year as well, oh. and he fell to the fifth round for Jacksonville, so I thought that was a good steal for them, and he looks to be proving the haters wrong that said he couldn't do it at the NFL level. He looks like to be a quality wide receiver for Jacksonville. Sir, and a similar type player here, Taylor Gabriel. I actually picked him up two seconds before the start of the 1 o'clock games on uh, Sunday. And he actually had a really good game. And I like him in the, this offense. I've realized that he's been getting a lot of looks. And uh, he's kind of like that D.D. Westbrook type player, a guy they're going to do some jet sweeps to and then throw short passes to as well. Yeah, Gabriel's role seems to be pretty consistent week to week. If he's there, take a shot at him. And then a guy that I have in both of my leagues, I love him for the long term and possibly for the short term this season, Nick Chubb. I mean, he's only owning 15% of leagues. Go out and get him. If you have an extra roster spot, just just get him on your on your team. Yeah, he's been very productive with his carries, as we saw three carries for 100 yards and a touchdown, two touchdowns, actually. So with Nick Chubb, it's a really good handcuff to have for Carlos Hyde. I don't think they're going to get Carlos Hyde demoted anytime soon. He's been pretty productive as well. But if Carlos Hyde were to go down, Nick Chubb immediately becomes a top 20 play every week. Yeah, absolutely. And then lastly, Kiki, do you love me? Kiki Kuti. <laughs> who, who is this guy, Ryan? Uh, Kiki Kuti <laughs> is a, was he a Texan? He's a Texan. Texan, yes. So Kiki Kuti <laughs> seems to be the slot receiver for the Texans. And Deshaun Watson has built a quite a bond with this guy. So... What was what was the stat line this past week? Do you know? I, I actually have no idea. I just saw him have a good game, and I put him on here. You could look it up. I'm sure it's yeah, 11 catches for 109. So <laughs> right. look at that. The target share is there. This is his, was his first game of the season because Bruce Ellington went to the IR. So he, taking Bruce Ellington's spot in the slot is Kiki Kuti with 11 catches for 100 yards. So look at him. Hey, pick him up while he's available because maybe there's. That, that could be a big guy in the, in the flex spot for you, especially in PPR. Those slot guys are huge in PPR. So that is all we have this week for fantasy, for football, for baseball. We're going to be back next week. Maybe a very upset Joey, maybe a happy Joey with the Yankees. Who knows? But thank you for listening today. We'll be back next Tuesday at 5 o'clock. You've been listening to The Pulse, Joey Bonsanti and Ryan Koloffer on WSIN 1590 AM radio. We'll catch you next week. See ya.